Please turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Just a short reading today. Recently I realized I've been preaching from a lot of narratives in the Old Testament, so we often have quite long readings, but, but not so today. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Over the last few sermons, I've been arguing that each of us needs to become a hidden hero, and a hidden hero in the sense that we're making our ordinary, everyday lives count for God, often when people aren't watching. We usually associate heroic acts with something that's done very publicly, but we're talking about the kind of heroism that just perseveres and does the right thing for God day in and day out. And as Christians, we believe through faith in God's promises that there is a better country waiting for us when we die. And that's what I preached about the last time, longing for a better country, a heavenly country. And we're hoping for this better country, and we believe that the best is yet to be. And two weeks ago, we learned that the heroes of the faith that were listed in Hebrews 11, that those heroes were longing for a better country. They did two things with a very desirable result. The first thing that they did was that they admitted that they were foreigners and aliens on earth. They recognized that they were different to everybody else and they lived accordingly. And then secondly, they lived by faith in the promises of God. And if you live by faith in God's promises, then the way you live, your actions reflect that faith and that trust in God. And of course, the very de desirable result was that it pleased God. Remember, it says that those who earnestly seek God, believe that he exists, will be rewarded by him. But, and this brings us to today's subject, doing this is hard. Let's face it, life's hard enough without having to live by the values and laws of God's kingdom. And on top of that, we saw that living by faith in the promises of God meant that, for example, Abraham chose to live in a tent all his life. God had promised him this land. He had the money to buy some of the land and to build a house on it. But why would he want to do that if God had promised it to him? And so he lived in a tent as an expression of his faith that one day this land was going to come to his descendants. They wouldn't have to pay for it. It would be theirs. And we also had a look at Paul. Remember, he forsook his rights as a Roman citizen so that he would earn greater rewards as a citizen of God's kingdom. So yes, they admitted that they were aliens. They lived by faith in the promises of God. Both of them pleased God, but it was hard. 
Being a hidden hero all day, every day, for the rest of your life is going to be a challenge. It's going to be a war of attrition. It's going to wear you down. And yet Hebrews reminds us that this is what we're called to. And as we come to today's passage, we see that the writer envisages the Christian life as a marathon. And so I've divided this sermon up into three parts. First of all, part one, run the marathon. Second of all, how to run the marathon. And we're going to be focusing largely on that. And then very briefly at the end, in the conclusion, I'm going to embed why. Why we run the marathon in this particular way. So let's begin with the marathon itself. Um, in the, the writer's eye, he sees you and I running a marathon race in a stadium. We know that it's a marathon and not a sprint because he uses words like perseverance and endurance. So this is not a short burst of energy. We know it's in a stadium because he says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now why does he use the word witness? Why doesn't he use the word spectator? Normally in a stadium you would have spectators and not witnesses. But the word witness implies that these people have also run the race. And that's why there's such a great cloud of them. And then he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, a cloud such as what? Well, he's referring to the heroes of the faith that have been listed in Hebrews 11. A crowd like that. These are the people who surround us. And so what do they do? What do these witnesses do? A witness bears testimony, isn't that right? So they bear testimony to something that we need to learn. And what we need to learn is that we have to do two things. We have to live as foreigners and aliens in this life. We need to live by the promises of God. And if we do that, we will receive a reward at the end of the race. So now let's move on and examine the inference that he draws when he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So what is the basis of the inference? It is that we are surrounded by all these people who've already run the race. What is the inference? Well, most of the English translations, in fact, I think all of them, um, they sort of obscure what is made very clear in the Greek. And that is that we are to run the marathon marked out for us. That is the, the center piece, if you like, of these three verses. Run the marathon marked out for us. Everything else describes how we are to run the marathon. So, let's just summarize it again. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, run the race marked out for you. In other words, since countless Christians who've gone before you lived as foreigners, since they lived by faith to the very end and thereby please God, since that was the race that was marked out for them, it is also the race that is marked out for you and I. It's their race and it's our race. And so this, folks, is the race that we must run. And don't you find it reassuring that although it's a tough race, although it's a marathon, it has been marked out for us by Jesus. That means that we're not lost. There's purpose and meaning in the course that your life takes. So many things are out of your control. They all have an effect on the way that you, your life goes. But God, Jesus, is in control of those and he has marked out the race that he wants you to run. 
Now, is your race unique, or is it the same as everybody else's race? Well, yes and no. There are these overarching distinctives to the course which apply to all Christians. So for example, the course will require you to live as aliens on this earth. But the specifics, the way each individual Christian is called to live that out is gonna be different. For Abraham, the course required him to live in tents. For Paul, he ended up ignoring the fact that he had Roman citizenship and he received a hectic beating in Philippi. And so for each of us, the course is going to be different and God has laid it out just for you in just the right way. And, and we need to remind ourselves that. Remind yourself that when you wake up tomorrow morning. Marathons are hard work, but God knows what you can achieve with his help and he will lay out the course accordingly. So, coming to the end of the first section. Countless people of God over the millennia have run the race God has marked out for them. Therefore, you and I must follow their example and do the same thing. However, to be successful, the race needs to be run in a certain way. And we come to the second part now. How do we run the marathon? And I've chosen three words to describe this. We need to run it throwing, we need to run it persevering, and we need to run it fixing. Let's start off with throwing. Have a look at what verse 1 says there. It says that we are to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So the writer is sticking to this image of a marathon race. And athletes do not wear flowing, bulky clothes when they're running a marathon because that would slow them down, it would trip them up. So you don't pitch up to a marathon race with high heels or a heavy full-length coat because it's either going to slow you down or it's going to entangle your legs and trip you up. Now, what's the difference between something that hinders and sin? Because he has drawn a distinction there. He says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Well, something that hinders is different to sin in the sense that it's not wrong in itself. It's not intrinsically wrong. So, for example, it's not a sin, and you would be free to do this, to pitch up to running a marathon race dressed in a chicken suit. You could do that if you wanted to. But the chicken suit is going to hinder you so much that it, it's very possible that you might not be able to finish the race. And so marathon runners, and we need to be like this as well, they have one objective. They want to run the race in such a way as to receive the reward. And it needs to be the same for us. And so if there is evenly matched competition in a marathon, and you realize that wearing a chicken suit is going to compromise your chances of winning the reward, you'll chuck it off. And you run it in your jocks if you have to. But you will sacrifice, you will do what needs to be done to make sure that you get across the finish line and receive the reward. In the same way, just looking back into, into chapter 11, Moses, and I'll just quote here from 25, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Israel, for the sake of Christ, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Why? because he's looking ahead to his reward. Moses' position in the Egyptian court became, if you like, a chicken suit. 
which he had to throw off. And as a hidden hero, you're going to have to make daily choices between legitimate alternatives. This alternative, this alternative, this alternative. Which one am I going to choose? I choose the one which makes it more likely that I'm going to finish the race and that I'm going to receive a reward. We choose the one that gives us an edge in the race rather than the one that hinders you. And even as I'm talking about this, maybe the Holy Spirit is starting to highlight some of those things that you're doing or some of those things that you're engaged in which are going to reduce your chances to finish the race and to win the reward that God has for you. One choice is going to increase your effectiveness in establishing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the one you need to go for. So if it's going to hamper your ability to run a good race, we throw it off. Even if it's a good and legitimate thing in itself. But we also throw off sin. And that's obviously more obvious because sin is forbidden. And generally, we can recognize what that is. And there's a huge amount that I could say about this today. But that's not for today. I just want to make one comment and ask one question. First, firstly, the question. Why would you want to enjoy, and just have in mind, maybe some of the things that you struggle with. Why would you want to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of those things if they reduce your effectiveness for God on earth and compromise your eternal reward in heaven? Why would you want to enjoy those pleasures if that's the effect that it's going to have? And now the observation. Since you are a child of God rather than a slave of sin, you are no longer obligated to say yes to sin. You see, if I'm a slave of Tony Roberts, then he is my master. I have to listen to what he's saying. But if my ownership has been changed, if I have been changed from a slave of Tony to becoming a child of God, I can say yes to Tony, but I don't have to. I have the power now with the Holy Spirit inside of me to say no to sin and yes to God. And I would just encourage you, it came out very strongly in our pre-service prayers today, that that process is not going to happen. That process of throwing off sin is not going to happen unless you repent. Just need to go to God and ask Him to forgive you. And He will forgive you. And then remind yourself, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I've been set free from that. I'm a child of God. I show the family likeness. It's in my DNA now. If I would just give it a chance, I will be able to express it. So how do we run the marathon? We do it um, unencumbered by hindrances and sin. Throw them off. Then the second thing that we do is we run through perseverance. This might be a statement of obvious. But in a race, if you stop running, you aren't going to finish. Isn't that the case? It's as simple as that. And that's why we need to reflect on perseverance, because it's perseverance that keeps us running. Do you remember what it says in Hebrews 11 verse 6? It says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, you will come to times in your life, and you may actually be there now, where you're no longer earnestly seeking God. 
you are starting to doubt whether he is a good enough God to reward you. And you might even be coming to the place where you're starting to doubt that he exists in the way that he expresses himself in the Bible and in Jesus. And if that is the case, that's the point where you need to grit your teeth and persevere and say, I'm struggling in the race now. I don't know. I don't know whether he's good. I've stopped earnestly seeking him. And maybe you're in that place today. Maybe, and you look at your life, you suddenly realize, good heavens, I've stopped earnestly seeking God. That's the point when you need to, to persevere and say, I'm going to start seeking him again. I don't feel like believing that he exists and that he's good, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to persevere. And those who persevere show that they have a genuine faith. The more trials and hardships that you go through, the more your character is developed and the greater assurance you have that you are a child of God and that what you are hoping for will come to pass because your, your character is getting stronger and stronger. And in this regard, this is what Paul writes in Romans 5 verse 3. He says, We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Never give up. Keep earnestly seeking God. Keep believing that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And this is our hope. And it keeps us running the race until we cross the finish line and receive our reward for doing so. So, we run the race. How do we do it? By throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And then we persevere, we do it through perseverance. And then the last thing that we do is we do it fixing, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, at the risk, once again, of just stating the obvious, how on earth do we fix our eyes on Jesus when we can't actually see him? Now, the New Testament writers, when they talked about the eyes, they were using it as a metaphor for the mind. So the eyes are the mind, I'm sorry, the, the mind are the eyes of the heart. So when you fix your mind on something, fix your eyes in other words, when you fix your mind on something, you are reflecting on it, you're thinking about it, and that starts to change your will and your emotions and it, it affects your soul. It goes right deep down. And so we fix our mind on Jesus. And this interpretation is backed up by verse 3. Verse 3, what does it say? Consider. Consider the example of Christ. Consider Him. And what is considering? Well, considering is an activity of the mind. He's saying that we should meditate on, think about Jesus, and then be obedient to His example. Follow His example. So I'd like to um, look at three very, very brief ways um, that we can think about and meditate on Jesus, and it comes out of the scripture here. First of all, we need to think of him as, our, as the author and perfecter of our faith, and then as an example of endurance, we need to reflect on that, and then as the one who is enthroned. So let's take the first one, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's just meditate and reflect on that for a moment. So once again, author, 
He's keeping with the um, imagery of running a race. And the word that's translated author can also communicate a number of other things that all fit in with that race analogy. The idea of a champion, the idea of a leader, the idea of a forerunner. So there is like there's a rich diamond field here that we can mind of encouragement when we are fixing our eyes on Jesus. In other words, Christ has run the race before us and he's triumphed. So we can do it. He is our pioneer. He's gone ahead and he's marked out the race. We start to reflect on these things. And in its general character, your race is the same as his race, but in terms of the difficulty and the hardship, his was far more challenging. But he has initiated and he's authored your faith, your race. He knows who you are, he knows what you're going through, um, and he has finished triumphant. His race was so much harder than yours, but he's made it possible for you to finish yours. And then the second word, perfecter. As the perfecter of our faith, Jesus accomplished fully everything it would take to make sure you can cross the finish line. He's done all of that. And I've got a wonderful quote here. I wasn't able, because of the power, I wasn't able to boot up to, to, to check the, the reference or the person who wrote it. But here it is. Jesus accomplished the perfection of our faith by his sacrificial death on the cross. He has cleared the path of faith so that we may run it. The way is open. And although hurdles exist, the roadblocks have been removed. Those roadblocks that are going to stop you from completing the race, they have been removed through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the pioneer, the author, and the perfecter of our faith. Now, since Jesus is the author and the perfecter, it makes sense that we should, in fact, we must meditate or reflect on his example. So that's the second thing, an example of endurance. The writer has held up as an example a sample of God followers from the past, but Jesus is the ultimate example. He is the author and perfecter. Therefore, we must reflect on and follow his example. So, for example, we ask ourselves, did he pray? Well, how did he pray? Where did he pray? When did he pray? What words did he use when he was praying? How did he teach his disciples to pray? Can you see that that's what, it, that's what it looks like to fix your eyes on Jesus, on the example of Jesus? You start to reflect on these things. But notice that the writer has a particular aspect of Christ's example here. It is enduring the cross. Jesus tells us to pick up our crosses every day and follow him. Do you remember that scripture? Pick up your cross every day and follow me. Obedience to Christ requires you to crucify your selfish, sinful desires. And it's going to involve you, I'm afraid, in a degree of discomfort and suffering every day. It may attract derision that brings shame. What did Jesus do? He counted the scorn as nothing. He considered nothing 
And we need to count the shame as a little thing. We need to count the suffering as a little thing because we compare them to what will be achieved through the pain and the shame. And that counting is one of the ways we fix our eyes on Jesus because we're reflecting on the fact that Jesus fueled his endurance of suffering by fixing his mind on what the cross would achieve. What does it say there? It says there, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He was considering, wow, one day all of these people are going to be in heaven, restored in their relationship with the Father because of what am I about to go through. Considered it. We need to do the same thing. Tomorrow, when God calls you to obedience, to crucify yourself and it's getting hard to endure, probably already is, remind yourself of what carrying your cross will achieve. If your obedience is attracting scorn or disapproval, endure the shame by reflecting on the fact that God always brings honor to those that have been shamed for his sake. What does it say? It says Jesus scorning the shame sat down at the right hand of the Father. He went through that phase of counting the scorn and the shame as nothing and then God promoted him and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Which brings us to the third thing that we reflect on. The fact that he is the enthroned one. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and it's a position of supreme power and authority. And so when you fix your eyes on Jesus, remind yourself that he is in charge of all things. All of those things that affect the course of your race that are beyond your control, whose control are they in? God's control. He is the one who is sovereign. He scorned the shame. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father and he is in charge. So let's tie it all up here. Countless people of God have run the race. They've lived as foreigners. They've lived by faith to the very end. And by running this race, they pleased God and they received rewards from Him. Therefore, we need to do the same thing. We need to run the race and we need to follow their example. But how? How do we run the race? We do it by throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We do it through perseverance and we do it by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And to do that, we use our mind to reflect on the example of Jesus. And folks, it's imperative that we do this every day. Why? Just have a look there in verse 3 and I'm going to close with this. It says... So that you do not, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him, it says. Consider, that's a command. Why all of this that I've been talking about, the reason why we do all of this is so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Because if you grow weary and lose heart, the chances of not crossing the finish line are increased. If you grow weary and lose heart, you won't make those choices every day that store up for yourself a reward in heaven. Let's just spend a, a moment.
just in quiet. Um, I just sensed uh, while I was worshipping earlier um, that the one thing I, I, I should just focus on um, in this, in this post-sermon um, prayer is that there, there may be people here who it's, it suddenly really hit them in the heart. I'm not earnestly seeking God anymore. And that can happen for a number of different reasons. Um, but it's an indicator that you're starting to grow weary and lose heart in this marathon, in this race. So if that's the case, um, I would like to lead you in a prayer of commitment to earnestly seek God starting from now, just to get back into that space of relating to Him, of not ignoring Him, of not neglecting Him, but just in all things, in your business, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships, to be earnestly seeking God. Why do we do it? Because we believe that He exists and that He will reward us for doing that. Father, I just... Let's just pray along in, in, in the silence of your heart in, uh, to repeating after me. Father, I just want to ask you to forgive me for growing weary and losing heart. I pray that you would forgive me for not earnestly seeking you and for neglecting you. And I want to commit myself to just getting up and dusting myself off and fixing my eyes on Jesus, on, on running this race in such a way that I will cross the finish line and win the prize. Do not grow weary and lose heart. Christ has run the race before us. There's a great cloud of witnesses. Not only are they bearing testimony to what we should be doing, but they're also cheering us on. And I just, I want you to know that. I want you to know that Jesus is cheering you on. I want you to know that the great heroes of the faith, that even the unknown, unsung heroes of the faith, they're up in that cloud of witnesses just cheering you on to keep going, to keep running the race. And God is no man's debtor. It may be hard. We may need to make choices where we're throwing off the chicken suit, um, where we're neglecting comfort for the sake of the kingdom, but God is no man's debtor. He will reward us. He will reward you um, for running the race in a way that honors and pleases him. Amen.